Welcome to the Hughes of Leadership podcast, where we dive deep into the many prominent aspects of leadership. How does leadership show up in each of us, and how do we seek to have a positive influence on the lives of others? Just like Hughes vary, so does how we show up as leaders and how we may flex different hues depending on the moment, the task at hand, or the individual or team we're engaging. What hues are you using today, and which will you seek to further develop? I'm your host, DJ Menifee, a Chief Enrollment Officer and Leadership Practitioner in Higher Education, and I look forward to diving into the hues of leadership with our guest. In Season 2, we're focusing on extraordinary, impactful leadership moments, specifically those that played a critical role in shaping the leader our guest has become or continues to become. Season 2 is inspired by the book, The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath, Why Certain Experiences Have Extraordinary Impact. I highly recommend it if you've not checked it out yet. And now, without further ado, let's get into our guest introductions. Today's guest serves as the executive director for the Colleges That Change Lives organization. Prior to representing the organization and championing the liberal arts from a student-centered college search and admissions process lens, she was the college-bound advisor at the Irma Lerma Rangel Young Women's Leadership School in Dallas. Before that, she worked for 20 years in college admission counseling at several secondary and post-secondary institutions in California. She has served on multiple counselor advisory boards for a variety of colleges and universities, the Common Application Board of Directors, and the John Hopkins University Access Advisory Board. Now, the audience has a sense of who this is, but without further ado, let's acknowledge or welcome Ann Morano. Hey, Ann, how are you? Hey, DJ, I'm so excited to spend time with you in this in this conversation. Thanks for having me. You know, sometimes you get a sense of how awesome and amazing people are just in meeting them and engaging them. But then when you have to give these introductions, it's like, who like it's a heightened level of understanding of the type of impact you've been able to have. And I'm sure the leaders you've been able to engage over time. And so just know that it is a, a honor and a privilege to share this space with you. Thank you for saying yes. And I look forward to our conversation today. Me too. That's a that's a beautiful thing to say. I appreciate that. I'll reflect that all all back to you. But one thing I've learned as I've matured as a leader is to accept those affirmations when they are shared with us. So thank you very much. That's kind. For our audience, Ann and I had a chance to discuss, prepare, and think critically about the leadership moments that uh, Ann wanted to kind of share with you all collectively speaking. And so without further ado, we're getting ready to transition into those three leadership moments. And the first leadership moment we're going to start with is under the framework of I see you. So Ann, I'm going to turn the keys over to you. What's the story? How has it impacted your leadership? Um, and so let's let's get get to it. Let's get to it. I would first like to give a huge shout out and acknowledgement to the wonderful women that uh, said yes to vocation and have served so many people in this world as members of the Sisters of St. Joseph of Carondelet. I was educated by the CSJs all the way through uh, elementary school, most of my elementary school career, and then was fortunate enough to reconnect with them in high school and then college. And this story comes from that background and that tradition. When I was a high school senior at the Academy of Our Lady of Peace in San Diego, let's give them a little love. (laughs) Uh, I uh, was brought to my attention uh, very late in senior year that I hadn't made any decisions yet. And uh, Mount St. Mary's University in Los Angeles was recommended to me as a fabulous college to check out. And I'm forever grateful to Sister Dolores Sanchando and Sister Joan Hample, who introduced me to the Mount. But I was up at Mount St. Mary's in Los Angeles on a visit. And I can't remember, DJ, if it was an admitted students program or a scholarship interview day. But it was one of those significant 
kind of important days where you know that not, not only do you hope that you show up as your full authentic self, but you're nervous because as a first gen kid, I really wanted this to work <laughs> uh, and, you know, wanted to represent my parents and my family and, and uh, had that kind of responsibility on me, but was also excited to be there at the possibility of going to college and especially going to college surrounded by folks that I had already respected. So I don't remember which which one of those days it was, but I do remember this, that at the very beginning of the day, as we were getting our name tags and checking in, this really charismatic woman approached me from across the quad, striking blue eyes, the kind that when you make eye contact, uh, just take you to another place. Uh, and, you know, I swear there was a mantle of light around her and she extended her hand and she said to me, so this is our friend from the Academy in San Diego. And I was completely blown away. Now, I quickly looked to see that her, she was wearing a name tag and she was uh, Sister Magdalene Coughlin, the president of the college. And I'd never met a college president before, much less one that had that kind of energy. Have you ever interacted with those people that you know they're operating on another plane? They're just carrying with them something extraordinarily, phenomenally special. And she radiated all of that to me. And in that moment, DJ saw me. I wasn't wearing my name tag. She purposely sought me out from across the quad, removed herself from a conversation she was engaged in to make sure that I felt seen and welcomed and acknowledged as an individual person. And I don't know if she could sense that I was nervous and excited, all of those, those emotions at the same time. But what she did was she uplifted me very powerfully by acknowledging not just who I was, but where I was from. And that stuck with me throughout my entire career and, and will. I'm so grateful to her for that, that moment. She later told me after I was awarded the St. Catherine's Medal for service and sorts of other things, because the CSJs have a, a huge, one of their charisms is a commitment to social justice and serving God's kids and uh, in many different ways. And so there was a real calling to service and to giving back, um, to using your success to definitely take care of yourself and your family and your future, but also to, to put back all that good into the world. And so I was being recognized with this award, which of course I was gobsmacked because there were so many people on campus doing amazing things. And she shook my hand as I was getting the award and looked me right in the eyes with those same striking magnetic blue eyes. And as she shook my hand, she said, to whom much is given, much is expected. And the way that landed with me was she was affirming, again, my individuality, my potential to make a difference in the world, and the great responsibility and power that I had uh, to impact others in a really good way. And I, I accepted that challenge, or at least I hope I did. I hope that's reflected in the last just over three decades of, of work in higher ed. But I have, I have tried to, in my work with students, families, and colleagues, to recognize them as individual people, to make sure that folks feel seen and aware of their own personal power and as individuals, right? In the space that they occupy with all of the history that they bring with them and their lived experiences. And it's something as simple as trying to remember people's names, right? <laughs> and to use the names that are meaningful for them, but to see them as unique and powerful and special. Uh, and that's what, that's the gift Sister Magdalene gave me in terms of a leader. And thank you so much for sharing such a story, not only in terms of the women collectively that have had a broader impact through your educational experiences as a learner, 
but also in terms of the impact that they had on you in those moments as you were transitioning to college, but also in your preparation to transition away from college and into the world of professionalism uh, and the roles that you've had. You know, the pieces that, that stood out to me um, was thinking about the pressure that whether we're thinking about the students that are going through the college search process and trying to identify fit and match um, and, and, and learn about themselves as they transition into the human beings they're meant to become, but also the pressure of starting a new job or, or working with a new leader or working with an, another organization and thinking about the pressure that those folks in the new space may feel and how does that can then align with the role and whether people think of power or influence or a combination of both, yeah, what we can do in the leadership capacity to see them. And if I'm using your words, not only in their unique sales, but, but recognizing all of their lived experiences, just showing them that we see them, we acknowledge them, we recognize them, and we believe in them, does that allow to, over time, for some of that pressure to dissipate? Um, because we are making people feel seen, which then may contribute to not only feeling welcome initially, but I believe then you have to be able to see other signals over time for me to go from I felt welcome to now I feel included um, right. into this right. community. And so those things really, really stood out to me in what you shared. Yeah, I, I you exactly all of that. I co-sign all of that. And I also think what it does is it instills some confidence and you draw people into their own capacity, right? If you relieve that pressure, I think then folks start to be more aware of whatever their calling is. They start sometimes now in modern day lexicon, we call it the reason why, right? But I think it helps to help people start to identify what that is for themselves and they can lean into their own personal power and create those goals for themselves, both short-term and long-term and understand that they can also bring other people along. So yeah, it's a pretty amazing gift that she gave yeah. me. Yeah. And I think the, the other piece before we transition to the leadership moment, number two, is the piece that was lifted up in so many ways in your your story that connects to service. Right. And so when we think of what it means to be of service to others, um, whether we're thinking of it through a biblical sense or through a servant leadership lens, which there could be some alignment and connections there, thinking critically about how much of being a leader whether it's innate to the role you have or not, um, how much of that is being of service to others around you. Um, and so I really appreciate you you lifting that up. Uh, and I feel like there may be some alignment to how we transition to, to leadership moment number two. And so I'm going to go ahead and do that for our audience. So the second leadership moment is under the theme of the backbone of the organization. So again, I'm going to turn the keys over to you. What's the story? Who's the impactful leader and how has that shaped you as a leader as well? Thanks, DJ. And that that backbone, I mean, that, that, that concept ties in so well with the whole concept of servant leadership and service, right? Being kind of a North Star, if you will, um, at least in my experience as a leader for how I conduct myself and how I invite others to discover what's real for them and, and bring them into their full capacity. But when I was... Oh, gosh, some point, maybe in the middle of my college career, uh, when my father was still holding out <laughs> that I might 
I might abandon this silly notion of English and sociology uh, and embrace business as an undergraduate career. And I have to back up and say that my parents were super supportive of higher education, were really excited to see me enroll in a Catholic women's college after being at a Catholic girls high school. That was, you know, as as practicing and very devout, faithful Catholics, that was a great joy for them that I chose to go to Mount St. Mary's and be uh, continue my education with the Sisters of St. Joseph of Grandolette. But they, my parents are both uh, did not have the opportunity uh, to enroll in higher education. And so that messaging was very strong growing up for my, my sister and myself about, you know, that's what you're going to do after high school is you're going to go to college. And when you come up in the 80s and you're a first gen kid, at least the way I was raised, the way I grew up, uh, you study business because business leads to a practical outcome in terms of employment and you can sustain yourself, right? And be financially independent, individuate, and not live on our couch until you're in your 40s and 50s. But anyway, so he was he was holding out for the fact that maybe if he got me an internship, you know, maybe she'll she'll fall in love with this kind of business thing and she'll she'll move away. So and I was um I'm not a native Spanish speaker, but I have studied it for a long time. And so he thought it would be great for me to polish those those language speaking skills by working in the international division at Merrill Lynch in San Diego, which was hilarious because I'm, you know, 19 or 20 and I'm essentially an assistant and administrative assistant to three or four different brokers who are trading and handling very large portfolios for clients in Central and South America. I can't believe I was imbued with that responsibility. Um, I did okay. I don't know that I, you know, made anybody any definite money, but I don't think I sabotaged any trades. Um, but the the point of that ex- that whole experience was being immersed for the first time in my dad's world of work and watching him and how he operated with his team. And and actually, he would object to the the possessive the his part of that sentence. He would say the team. He wouldn't say my team. Every day that we commuted together to work, dad reminded me of how important it was to acknowledge the folks that were really the backbone of the organization, the folks that didn't necessarily get the glory, that weren't amplified in the newsletter every month, you know, that weren't necessarily bringing in millions of dollars of of business to the company, but were doing all of the things that it took to make sure that the folks who were in those positions, those those brokers and operations people could do all of that for, as dad would affectionately say, Mother Merrill. And so these every day he would remind me by example and by direct instruction or preaching, if you will, of those folks and how important they were. And so he knew the name of everybody in the building that worked in the garage, that was on the facilities or housekeeping team, that worked security, all of the administrative assistants and the secretaries and the people that worked in the cafeteria, like all of those people, DJ. And he would introduce me as his daughter and he would spend time every morning and every afternoon greeting and then uh, thanking people for the work they'd done that day and checking in with them about their families, right? So he knew and things that they had been through in their lives. And he was very proud to share with me how many of them um, also happened to be from immigrant backgrounds that had immigrated to the country or that were first generation immigrants. And that resonated with him as the, as the child of immigrants, my grandparents immigrated from, from Italy and Sicily. And what he taught me was he gave me a chance to really understand how critical it is. Again, in that concept of seeing people, I see you, but to recognize the contributions of everyone and to 
maximize those relationships, not to get more from those people, but to make sure that they understood how important they were to the team and to the organization. And I think, you know, in leadership development, when you do PD with, with teams and staffs, it's important to include everybody, right? I mean, I, I don't want to call, want to call people into this and not call anybody out, but when we do leadership training or leadership development or staff bonding experiences with teams, it's important that they cross departments and that they cross job titles and that everybody that is helping your team do what it needs to do has a place at that table and in that conversation and gets recognized as a leader in their own right. Because without them, we wouldn't be able to do our work day in, day out. And that's, that's what dad showed me. And in practice, an instruction when, when we would chat on the way home. Uh, he said, never, never forget that, Annie, that all of these people are bringing all of their gifts and talents to bear in this way that makes it possible for me to do what I can do. Uh, and so I have a, an obligation to keep including them, to remind them how important they are and to show other people that too. And that was such a magical story. Oh. <laughs> and shout out to those that that not only helped steward your growth, but also for your dad to to emulate um, what it means to lead with humility. Um, I think is amazing for you to see that because one of the pieces that I wrote down is is like we can be in this podcast space, right? Um, and right. we can put on a show for what we think leadership should look like, and people can then assume that that's how we lead. But there are other people who actually could speak to how we lead and, and, and is what we're saying actually align with the words that we're using. And yeah. so what I wrote down was this notion of, of actually seeing a leader in space, right? You were able to see, okay, my dad is saying this, but then I can actually see that he means everything he says in terms of acknowledging, recognizing, lifting up, celebrating, and including these people and these people all matter. Doesn't matter what their role is. It doesn't matter how much salary they make. It doesn't matter how many years of service they have. It doesn't matter who was in the newsletter. But everybody work. Everybody's work and contribution matters. And so, you know, when I th also thought about that, the other piece that made me think about is is asking ourselves as well as our audience to reflect on two things. Now that you have this information. What type of leader do you have if you have somebody you report to um, and is, is a leader in that capacity? Are they someone who, who aligns with what they say and their actions? And also, are they somebody who maybe prefers to um, lead behind the scenes and they're not necessarily either seeking or not comfortable with having that public persona? because there are varying types of leaders with varying types of skills. You can be a great leader and maybe not have that public persona or that charisma that right. feels very comfortable being in the spotlight. That's and then right. the second part of that is asking yourself, what type of leader are you and being okay with the type of leader you are? And you can still be amazing and prefer to be in the back. You can still be great and prefer to lead by example, but not necessarily yes. want to be a leader that has a lot of direct reports. Like in those right. instances, it's okay for those things. But the most important piece is acknowledging the type of leader you are and then also being comfortable and understanding how to acknowledge the type of leader that you've been blessed with that may be leading you in your organization or co-leading you, co-leading with you in your household or whatever that may mean. Yeah, that's so insightful. That's so insightful. Because I also think, right, like there are so many folks who 
are having an impact, but they don't speak, they don't seek the spotlight, like you just said, or they, um, you ever, you ever been in a situation maybe where you you've overheard, or maybe this has happened to you where somebody has challenged somebody in your circle, you know, why don't you think about doing X, Y, or Z? Why do you stay in that position? You could do this. And to, and to watch somebody answer that question with, with grace and say, I'm really happy doing what I'm doing and I'm having an impact in what I'm doing currently. Like they don't feel that need to climb the ladder, the rungs, right? Because where they're, the space they're occupying, where they're at is enough. It's, it's satisfying and they feel like they're having an impact. And I, you know, that question to me always diminishes the contributions that that, that person is making. Does that make sense? Right? Like, uh, yeah, it makes sense. Anne. And I, I think for me, the pieces is, is and I've said this in a, in a couple of different spaces, may have been a couple of different uh, episodes, but, you know, there's this piece of growing vertically versus horizontally. And when I say mm-hmm. vertically, it's the career ladder trajectory, more uh, seeking achievement, seeking more responsibility, seeking a, bo- a broader portfolio. And right. I don't see any of those things as a negative. Like that may be inherently what you've been called to do. And that's your path. Um, I would say that, that I would I would align with that. I think that's how I've approached life. And there are also others who don't want to do that, but it doesn't mean that they can't grow horizontally within the role that they have. And so for me as a leader, it's always thinking critically about, well, one, how do I get to a place where the people that are under my guidance and care feel comfortable sharing what their aspirations are? Yeah. Because right? they may not ever be comfortable. Two, yeah. if they are comfortable how do I demonstrate to them that I don't, I'm not judging them on which way they want to go. But as a leader, I inherently feel like I should be contributing to how I can help them grow, which direction they want to go in. And also making sure that in the structures that I'm a part of and that I have a leadership capacity, there is an expectation for growth. How that growth comes is different. Um, you may not want to go to a conference. You may not want to watch webinars. You may learn differently. Not a problem. But it doesn't mean that the culture that I'm a part of and helping steward wouldn't include growth. It's going to include growth. It's going to challenge people to try to get better each day. But what that better version of yourself looks like doesn't have to equal career trajectory and growth. It could just be growing where you are and just being better every day. Yeah, yeah. And bravo to you for recognizing that. That takes a very connected, insightful, intuitive person. No, to be aware of that and to say, I celebrate you and where you are, and we're going to look for ways for you to grow horizontally and and to validate that. That's a beautiful thing. Not everybody can do that. No, Some and I would know. say I learned by fire. Um, mm. The last narrative, because I right. want to be mindful of our transition to our next point. But <laughs> once upon a time when I was blessed to be uh, a director of admission. I remember it was the first time like I got to really contribute to shaping what professional development looked like. And I was like awestruck, like, oh, everybody wants to do it like I do it. Everybody's right. just as passionate and excited about it as I right. am. Right. And spent time like crafting this, what I perceive to be a thoughtful uh, and inviting, I'm not going to say inclusive, I'm not saying it for a reason, mm. but inviting experience. And over time, as it rolled out, what I came to understand is this, how dared I expect everybody want to grow in the same direction that I wanted to grow in and yeah. the same ways that I wanted to grow in and with the same level of passion and excitement 
right, right. that same pace that same drive yeah 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 and so as it rolled out and and it you know i had to feel that like oh okay it helped me learn moving forward like it doesn't say anything um negative or or less than about these this team that i've been blessed to work with what it means is, is i was very short-sighted as a leader and took an opportunity to say, I want to build something that I want for me that I think everybody else wants versus having taken the time to get to know people and to get a sense of, well, how would you like to grow? What does that look like for you? Okay, you don't want to be a director of admission one day. Fantastic. But how can we make sure you're the best version of yourself in this current role? That was the experience that I had to learn by fire of getting it wrong, in my opinion, to be able to understand how to do it better in the future. Thanks for sharing that. I don't know if it's about getting it wrong or if it's about testing stuff. <laughs> I like right? testing. I like gotta, the word testing. I mean, you got to try it before you know if it's going to work. And if you're new and excited and fired up, you know, sometimes we don't always know to step back and take an inventory. We don't yes. always know that. I think that comes with experience and it comes with, you know, some things land and they land gently and sometimes land with a thud. And the thuds, I think, can be the most powerful teaching moments. So you had a thud. Yeah, and look at you now. Who among us who's not listening, especially you know, hasn't had a couple of the thuds? But thanks for that. And I think in the in the broader run, even where we are now in our careers and what we've grown to understand and learn about leadership generally and broadly, but also what we've learned about ourselves individually and how we show up as leaders, it doesn't mean that we still won't take calculated risks. It doesn't mean (laughs) that we won't fail fast or fail a lot. But as long as we can learn from those experiences and also demonstrate to others that it's okay to take those calculated risks and to try things that are in alignment with where we're trying to head, I still think that it's okay in the long run. Totally okay. All of that humanizes us to the folks that we're working with, for one. Keeps me grounded, for sure. Keeps me an engaged learner and uh, curious about things, right? I think all of that's important. It's good to, I mean, I don't want to say teaches us how to pivot because I think we've overused that word in the last handful of years, but I think, you know, keeps you, keeps you nimble minded to try things. And uh, it's, it's in that recovery is where the growth really happens, right? That picking yourself back up and saying, okay, that was an interesting experiment. <laughs> you know, I'm glad we tried it, but let's, let's not do that again. Or let's, let's look at maybe how we could have done that differently. Anyway, that's amazing. Yes. Thanks. yes. And I'm, I'm taking your word. Um, and maybe it wasn't one you crowned, but I'm taking recovery for myself and to think yeah. critically about how I incorporate that into um, yeah. how I lead and how I show up in conversations moving forward. So for our audience, we're going to transition to leadership story number three. Um, and this one is themed generational wisdom. And so again, Anna, I'm going to turn the keys over to you. Tell us the story, maybe the impactful leader that's helped shape your experiences and how that shows up in you as a leader. So after I worked for my alma mater in, uh, at Mount St. Mary's University in Los Angeles, I have to give them another shout out for a handful of years. It was strongly recommended to me that I might want to look at crossing over and working uh, working on the secondary side as a, as a counselor, a college counselor. And I'm indebted for life to Katie Murphy, former NACAC president and all things uh, for lifting me up in that way. So just give her a little love if I can, DJ. But I found myself at Notre Dame High School in Sherman Oaks, California, in the very capable hands or under the very capable tutelage of Lynn Colley, who was at that point the department chair in the counseling office. And I was the senior counselor, and I was specifically hired because of my college admissions background and uh, 
and she was excited to have me and I was really excited to be there. And I consider her one of my most treasured mentors. And I will say as a shout out, acknowledge your mentors while you have them. If it, you know, especially if it hasn't been a formal relationship where you've, you've come into that understanding where you are my mentor, you may not have used that language with someone that that's special to you or that you learn from, but acknowledge those people while they're still with you often and thank them. But watching Lynn work with students, particularly, well, and students from all backgrounds uh, was, was, and I'm going to use magical. I'm going to steal that from you again, was, was masterful and magical. I learned from Lynn, not really how to navigate or rope or manage the frontal lobe of an adolescent, but I learned from her how to work with it. Uh, And again, in that, that theme of, seeing individuals for who they are, for understanding that the human beings in front of us, particularly the students, were evolving. And they were bringing again to their daily experience, their origin stories and their backgrounds and the homes that they were being raised in and the socioeconomic situation that was their reality. And all the things that they held dear about their, I keep saying histories and origin stories, they were bringing all of that to bear on their experience on our campus Monday to Friday and in the off off hours for co-curricular experiences. And so we needed to recognize all of that and to listen more than we spoke. So the exact opposite of what I'm doing now today, this afternoon with you, but to look at these young people who are bringing their stories to us. And to really hear them, to reflect their stories back to them as stories and sources of strength, right? To approach them as coming to not just high school, but the lives they were going to lead after high school, to come to those experiences in those lives with their strengths, with their character traits that are assets. And Lynn didn't believe in a deficits model of counseling. She believed in a strengths model. And she believed that that strengths model drew from all the things that I've already articulated about those young people sitting in front of us. And that was powerful, you know, to, to, because as counselors and, and I had the entire senior class, <laughs> I was responsible for all the things, but it became very apparent to me that that relationship building was where we wanted to spend most of our time. Because in that relationship building in trying to understand, although I can't fully because I'm a cisgender, queer, white woman of some privilege. (laughs) So I'm never going to fully understand the experience of someone who doesn't share that background with me. But what I can do is I can learn enough that we can work together and have a fantastic relationship. I can be sensitive to all of those things. So anyway, that, that relationship building is where it started and where it ended because you can't just launch into a conversation with a young person about, so what eight to 10 schools are on your list? Or what do you want to talk about in your essay? And What do you think you want to study and what's going to make you happy in college and beyond without spending some time listening, hearing, getting to know that person? There was a real, again, dignity to that, just a real unbelievable commitment to people and to these not quite yet fully formed human beings and recognizing that as not fully formed human beings, they still had a lot. They had a lot to share with us, not still. They had a lot to share with us that we could learn also from their experiences. And I found that I took that with me so the other positions that I held in high schools, most recently at the Irma Lerma Rangel Young Women's Leadership School, the first all-girls public school in the state of Texas, there are several students there that I had the privilege of working with and their families. I asked these students to be my mentor because I recognized, and you hinted at this, 
the wisdom in the generations that are coming behind us, right? That, that as we're clearing the way for the next generation, uh, as we are taking advantage of, I hope in the best possible ways, the pathway that has been cleared for us by those that came before us, the ancestors and everyone else that has made possible the work that we can do. We're clearing the way for the folks that come after us, but in clearing that way, turn around and listen a little bit is what I learned from Lynn and tried to do that at Rangel with those incredible, phenomenal human beings that I had the privilege of working with there, that they had so much to teach me. And I asked several of them to be my mentors and they just kind of giggled. <laughs> oh, my Estra Senora, I couldn't do that, you know. Culturally, I think it just didn't feel like a comfortable space for them. And so I would just tease myself, okay, well, we're not going to get into a formal relationship, but just know that you have taught me so, so much about the world and about people and how to how to do this the right way, we hope anyway. But it started, it started in that counseling office at Notre Dame High School. Just an amazing, amazing thing to be a part of a ripple effect, I think is the way I think about it generationally. That's legacy. It's not something that I that I strive for, um, but it's something I can be proud of in terms of taking what Lynn taught me, bringing it to the work that I've done since I left Notre Dame High School, and then recognizing that generational, infinitely phenomenal, spectacular, significant uh, power and lessons that I can take from from the folks that are coming up behind me or next to me. Right? If we can yank them to be standing next to you, that's an even better thing. Listen, there's a there's a a lot of different pieces that that you you hit on and i just want to be able to tease some of those threads out because they were meaningful to me as you shared them uh, and i'm hopeful that the audience was taking notes as i was taking notes um, <laughs> as they hear this so the first thing i want to lift up is this notion of, of acknowledging the mentor mentee relationship and the value that it can bring um there are a lot of instances in our own careers regardless of what um industry you're in where the growth that happens is outside of the org structure you're a part of, but it's from other people in your network or other people that you've come across that want to pour into you. And that pouring into may be formal or informal, and it may only last for a season versus being long-term, but there are always opportunities to make sure that you are acknowledging, celebrating, and recognizing the people that that have helped shape you. So I wanted to acknowledge that one. The, the other one I wanted to acknowledge was the role our identities play in how we navigate space, right? Yeah. So even in this instance of generational wisdom, we still have to be mindful of how we show up in space, be mindful how how others may show up in space. And for for us to be able to make the connection and actually build a rapport and a relationship, um, we do have to be mindful of how we show up in those ways. Um, and so I appreciate you acknowledging that. The third piece I wanted to lift up was this notion of taking how a person is evolving through life. And, and I know in this the example, you're talking about students, but when you think about in any aspect of our own careers, we are growing and evolving all the time. Like we don't stop because somebody assumes we made it somewhere, right? right. We're always having the space and capacity to evolve. And so it made me think about the people that are are maybe in our care and our organizations or the people that we come in contact with. Um, again, when I think about your organization and how often you come in contact with professionals from the 44 uh, organizations that are comprised of the organization um, and thinking critically about, okay, they're always evolving. They have a unique story. They've got their own background and they come with their own experiences. And so how do we acknowledge all of those things and lift up the strengths that everyone has? And so the note I made was, is 
always look at the teammates that you have around you as a source of strength. It may take you time to identify those strengths and how they can coalesce alongside yours or how they can help sharpen yours. But in order for your organization or your team to be the best version of itself holistically, there's got to be that process where you can identify um, and make the connection to the broader set of strengths that comprise of that organization or comprise of that team. And so I just wanted to lift those pieces up because they were they're very meaningful to me. And I acknowledge in my own space, in my own role right now, that the success that this organization has had around the things that my division can contribute to formally and informally, we wouldn't be where we were if it wasn't for the combination of strengths that came together, right? I am not the leader and the expert in all things. And there had to be some instances where I needed to step back. That happens on a daily basis so that those that have the expertise and experience can step up and in the end recognize that it's not about me and how I'm perceived. It's not about my ego. It is really about the overall intended results. And if we are meeting or exceeding enrollment goals and all that jazz, which obviously is important and relevant to the long-term sustainability of the organization. There's also the instance of thinking about, and how are we cultivating and developing people? Because as you move through, at least from my vision on the higher ed side, as I've had the blessing to transition and move into leadership capacities, I know why many people say they got into the work, and maybe that's still the reason why they're in the work, which is the students. And I don't disagree with that, don't have any issues with that at all. But what I began to see for myself is, is, but the people I have the most direct contact with and maybe the most opportunity to contribute to shape and develop and cultivate is the people I spend the most time with. And that's not the students. That's the people right. that are in my care, my organization. And that's so right. I think that piece really helps help that stand out for me. And I appreciate that. That's right. No, thank you for illuminating that in your very capable, astute DJ Metaphy way, which by the way, we need to copyright that. It needs to be called the way of DJ or something, but that's maybe another conversation for another time. I will have none of that. <laughs> we'll call it the ways of those that help shape me become who I am today. We can do that. Okay. Well, that's a very, I don't know how big the book's going to be for that title, but we'll, <laughs> but we'll talk about that. No, I, I, again, I think it's right. You, you, uh, recognizing those strengths and the folks around you, cultivating them, lifting them up, hearing, listening, that doesn't diminish, you know, who we are in any sort of way. And, uh, and it is, it is right. We, we are, we are preparing those that are coming to continue to do what we hope has been the good work. Right. And I, I love working with young professionals and I, it, it disheartens me when I, and I get it. I get it. There are, you know, sometimes there are generational, there's generational confusion, (laughs) generational disconnect, uh, whether it's technology, terminology, any other kind of ology. Right. And so, but it's disheartening to think sometimes uh, of, of when, you, you know, you hear folks who are, uh, more senior in their experience saying things like, I just don't get them. How do I get them to do this? I mean, those are very real concerns, right? But I think what you talked about is like looking to your left, looking to your right, pulling out those strengths, doing that assessment, having having those 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 younger team members or those team members that are newer to the profession, whatever the case may be, uh, teach us and teach each other. You know, there's there's a lot of strength in that. So anyway. Thank you for saying what you did because it, it gives me it gives me great hope that yes we can we can clasp hands with consent of course and bring each other along and forward you know um, definitely and and let me lift you up one more time before we get ready to transition to a close here in that 
the thing that stood out also as a capstone to your narrative on the third story is that you signaled to those young ladies mm. that you had the capacity and the willingness to learn from anyone. Yeah. And I think that is a model for them, even if maybe culturally and collectively speaking, or in that moment, that was uncomfortable because of of what they had been exposed to, their background and experiences. It doesn't mean that moving forward in their journeys, that that couldn't be a piece that could be adopted and incorporated into their being and the way they move, because how would our world be different if everyone modeled that? and said, I have the ability to learn from anyone. I can change my understanding and my perspective. I can pivot. I know you said don't use the pivot word, but we can pivot. And it's because we've been exposed to things that regardless of who you are, what your role is, how many years of professional experience you have, I know there is somebody out there right now in high school that knows more about Excel than I do. I know (laughs) there's somebody out there that is significantly younger than me um, whether an age or unprofessional uh, perspective that knows more about social media than I do, knows more about budgeting than I do. And so I think it's that that humble nature of being willing to just acknowledge that because in the end, it's not about the individual, it's about the collective. And so I appreciate you highlighting that in that story. It's very rich. Yeah. So listen, audience, we've had the chance to talk about being seen, seeing others. We talked about the backbone of the organization and acknowledging and lifting up everyone, not just those that are maybe in the public or in the eye or in the spotlight, but those that do all the work. And lastly, we talked about generational wisdom. You know, as we transition to a close and one of the things we, we've incorporated here is kind of this words of wisdom. And so as we get ready to transition, are there any words of wisdom you would like to share with our audience before we close? Thanks for the invitation to do that. Um, I think the first would be to, to show up for yourself and for the folks that you're working with, for your team, whatever capacity that is, you know, whether it's the work or if you're doing volunteer work or through your your faith community, if that's something that's valuable to you, show up every day being present and being present for whatever is going to show up, right? Uh, on, and being, I think, extending the same grace to yourself that you extend to the people that you work with, right? Recognize that you too are evolving, that you too are a work in progress and that for some of us, the journey of the frontal lobe lasts longer than our twenties and thirties. <laughs> can I say that? I, gently? Yes, you can. And I'm a part of that group. Hey, listen, a part of this journey is the uh, humble acknowledgement of what is real. And that's as right. long as we can do that, it may even cause us laughter. Um, and to me, like, that's the joy, the joyous part of it as well. It's like, you know, yeah, these are the realities of things. And sometimes the journey for us is going to be different and how long it takes us to get somewhere is different, you know. But I appreciate those pieces in terms of being present um, and the extension of grace. Um, and so as we close, Anne, again, I just want to thank you for your time in this conversation. I can't wait for the world to hear Um, what you have to share. And not only did you have these leadership moments that have shaped you, but your willingness to shout out so many amazing people that have helped shape you and how you show up um, and how you intend to shape others over time. And so shout out to all of the amazing people that you lifted up, um, those that I know and those that I don't know and those that the audience may or may not know, because again, they've helped shape you into being an amazing human being and an amazing leader. And we'll continue to watch you from afar as you continue to do amazing things with the organization and the young people that you touch. That's uh, 
thank you for all of that. Yeah. If, if nothing else, we're living to be grateful, say thank you and do it another day. But I'm, I'm really, really appreciative of the time and the interaction. And uh, I learned a couple things, which always happens when, when I share space with you, DJ. So thank you again for the opportunity to connect. Fantastic. So to our guests, as you transition to work or home from work, as you head into lunch or transitioning between meetings, as you transition into professional development time you have for yourself, maybe that's each day or each week, or as you transition between work and the time with yourself and loved ones, let's reflect on and consider incorporating what we've learned through these extraordinary impactful leadership moments into our lives. Thanks for tuning in to the Hughes of Leadership podcast. And remember to ask yourself, what hues will we use today and which will we seek to further develop? Thank you.